Hi, today we are joined by Jim Gould, who is the director of the HMS and HSDM Office for Postdoctoral Fellows. So Jim, welcome. Thank you for agreeing to be on the podcast today. Thank you very much for the invitation. I've been looking forward to to being invited and I have a few friends have already been interviewed on the podcast. So I was looking forward to, to being a part of it. And thanks for the invitation. And so do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and give us a quick background on how you became, came to be the director of the postdoc office? Yes, of course. So I, like I said, like you said, introduction, uh, I'm Jim Gold. I'm the director for postdoctoral affairs at the moment. I, I recently got uh, a promotion. So that was, it's been fun, 12 years in the making. I started... Thank you very much. I started in this position in June of 2011 and have been growing in the position and growing in my knowledge of, of what to do at HMS at Harvard, but also across the, the U.S. for our postdoc population. So I was a postdoc myself. And one of the things that, that helped me in this job and has helped me in this job is understanding what a, what a postdoc was. Uh, and for those maybe on the call, or uh, listening that might not know what postdocs do or why they do what they do. They're, they're PhDs mostly, sometimes MDs or MD PhDs that follow their, their graduate work into another lab or maybe even another area, maybe uh, another research area to get more experience, more uh, a few more skills, maybe a few more publications. But what I have found out through my experience being a postdoc, but also helping postdocs, it's also a very good time to explore interest, find uh, and grow new skills and figure out what the next steps might, might be. So in, in my position here uh, in the postdoc office is helping our postdoc population, both on the quad and our hospital affiliates, figure out not only what, what it means to be a good postdoc and do good research as a postdoc here, but also what it means and how to do it well how to transition into the next position. So I, I got my PhD at the University of Louisville in Kentucky. Uh, that was six years uh, of hard work. And then I, I postdoc at the National Cancer Institute in Frederick, Maryland for four years. I actually did two separate postdocs there. And while I was postdocing, I, I was researching. Uh, my first postdoc was kind of a fish out of water. In my graduate work, I was working on mesangial cells, kidney cells, and dosing them with high glucose and trying to mimic as best I could high glucose and uh, hyperglycemia. And then figure out these signaling cascades to figure out how it affected TGF-beta secretion in a very specific kidney cell. So I moved as a, from a graduate student into postdoc and was in a genomics lab. And I really had no idea what was going on. I had to learn a completely new language. And it took me at least a year to catch up. And then I was trying to figure out things. And while I was doing that, I realized I need help as a postdoc. I don't know if I could do what, what is required in genomics to understand uh, moving on into my next stage of career. So I started reaching out building a community uh, of postdocs and, and other trainees at the National Cancer Institute. And there are two campuses of, of the NCI, one in Frederick and one in, in Bethesda. So I became connected to a larger community 
found another postdoc that was a much better fit, both scientifically mentoring, uh, as well as my interest. And it was um, cancer metabolism, which is a little more closely aligned to what I was doing in graduate school. And I was like, okay, this is it. This is where I need to be. I'm going to publish and I'm going to move on and do a you know scientific research career. Meanwhile, in the back of my mind, I'm like, that's not really what you want to do, Jim. And what you're doing as a postdoc, building your community, being part of the the Postdoc Association of Fellows and Young Investigators Association at the NCI, sort of just doing committee work, running volunteer seminar series, getting you know, fellow postdocs together, and also by happenstance, giving advice. Postdocs and graduate students would come to me and say, hey, Jim, what do you think about this? And of course, you know, you know having this invitation to, to share what I'm doing on you know, with the with the podcast, I'm like, oh, sure, I, I can ad lib and give advice and, and do what I feel like, you know, is good advice. Meanwhile, I was having those same questions. So in helping my, my colleagues, my friends and other postdocs and, and fellows, uh, both in graduate school and in, uh, as a postdoc, I was figuring things out for myself. So while doing some research, you know, actual bank research, I was doing a lot of different things administratively, growing uh, my reputation as someone who can bring people together. I was sitting on committees. I was being invited as a postdoc to sit in rooms and at tables that many postdocs didn't have a chance to at that moment. And then I realized it finally dawned on me, I like this better than research. I get more satisfaction at the end of the day, having done, you know, sitting on a committee and figured out a, a problem. I liked the scientific problem thinking, problem solving, but I didn't actually like doing the experiments to see if it was actually going to work. So at the end of the day, I was like, this is what I, I, I want to be doing and realize I could do it for a job and eventually a career. So I, I started being a bit more strategic in the things that I was doing and then being asked to do, saying yes to certain things, saying yes more often than saying no, but saying no, we're like, this isn't where I want to be. I want to be doing kind of postdoc affairs in general or graduate or trainee affairs and building skills, getting experience, looking for a few jobs, finding job titles that made sense, talking to people who who had jobs that I was interested in or had interesting paths to those positions, reaching out to them, just talking with them, and then sharing my story as much as possible, my interest with anybody who would listen realize, you know, basically planting seeds. And one of the things that happened across some time, because as a postdoc, I was afforded some time to figure it out. So it took me about four, four and a half years as a postdoc to land a position, this position at Harvard Medical School. And when this position came available, I had already sort of buried my, my nose in my postdoc work saying, I really need to get something productive, like a paper out of my postdoc. And it was at that time, because I had planted seeds, I had talked to everybody, four or five emails landed in my inbox in the, in, in the same week saying, hey, Jim, this job looks like something you'd be interested in. It wasn't a job listing that I had found. It was my friends and, and my network sending it to me directly, saying, this job looks interesting. You should probably look into it. So I applied, interviewed, got the job offer, and that was within, I applied, interviewed, and started in June. I think it was within three months. 
it was, it was a very quick transition from postdoc into directing a postdoc office. So that was kind of my path of not knowing what I wanted to do, not knowing that this was a career path for me, and then figuring it out because I had some time as a postdoc. And understanding that, bringing that with me in this position for the last 12 or 13 years now, realizing that postdocs sometimes just need some time. They just need some practical advice. And that's what I try to bring, grounded practical advice to our postdocs, as well as good policies and guidelines that that postdocs may be affected. So again, as director of postdoc affairs, I'm invited to sit on committees, invited by the dean or by my boss or to say, hey, what are postdocs doing? What do they need? What are they thinking right now? Whereas, you know, they may be making in the past decisions without consideration of of what the trainee population needs. Okay. And so if I were a new postdoc and I came to you and I said, hey, Jim, I'm here. I've been here a few months at Harvard Medical School you know, what should be one of the first things that I do? One of the first things that you should do as a new postdoc, hopefully you've been invited to orientation. You know, our office puts on an orientation, but the first thing you should do is try to connect with your community within your department, within your laboratory, within the the larger postdoc community uh, across HMS and Harvard. There are upwards this is a, a rough estimate, but it, it, it's in the, the ballpark. There are roughly 7,000 Harvard-affiliated postdocs in Boston and Cambridge across all of our affiliated institutions and all the hospitals. So there is a very large postdoc population in this area and maybe one of the largest in the world, I might say, the, the largest concentration of Harvard postdocs, but also postdocs in general because there are many other institutions that have postdoc uh, in the Boston, Cambridge, Eastern Massachusetts area. So the first thing you, you should do, especially as an international postdoc, which make up about 50% of our postdoc population in, in the university system and, the, and HMS, get connected with your community. It doesn't have to be postdoc only community, but get connected with your community. Don't you know get yourself isolated. Don't Make it so that you feel that you're the only person that can help you through your your postdoc training. Connect and and get to know others. Be visible in your in your community. Be visible in your laboratory. Be visible in your department. That was one of the things that helped me while I was trying to figure things out, even in graduate school into into postdoc. I reached out and met everybody. I literally walked around offices walked around labs. Sometimes it's not possible with uh, our ever-growing virtual world, but just connect, introduce yourself, and follow up. I I think that's probably the first thing and maybe the most often thing that you should be doing, Uh, not just as a postdoc, but I think as a a professional uh, in general. So what if I'm painfully shy and find it really hard to do that kind of stuff? What then? But then, then you're painfully shy and you, you still find that hard to do, but you might not have to do it on a very large scale. One person a day, one person a week, maybe two or three people a month. But I, I think in order to grow professionally, you're still going to have, as a scientist, as a postdoc, as a future investigator of science, or someone who transitioned away from the bench like myself, 
into an administrative position or or elsewhere. You are you're always going to have to communicate with people. And one of the the ways to think about it is is not to say I have to grow my professional network in order to survive. You should be thinking about it as here's someone that I would like to meet and have a conversation with. And then the follow-up and then the relationship building happens. And then that's where things might grow into more of a back and forth or someone uh, as a men, you know, could be, you know, developed into a mentor, mentor role or an advocate role. But if they don't know you or if they don't know who you are, they may not pass things on to you. They may not call on you. But some of the things that, that could be helpful instead of maybe cold calling or just walking up to somebody in, in the hallway and say, hey, my name's Jim or my name is Hardeep. I'm doing this. What are you up to? Sometimes that is intimidating. You might do that anyway to practice because you're going to be going to conferences. You're going to be going into different departments and institutions as you're interviewing, as you're going on the job market. But there are many things that you, that postdocs do or trainees do anyway that's part of the quote unquote job of training as a scientist. You go to weekly or monthly seminar series. Do you sit with new people? Do you introduce yourself to anyone new in, in the room? Do you ask a question of the, the presenter, whether they are internal presenter or a, an external invited speaker? Do you ask a question? Or if you don't do any of those, do you follow up with the speaker with, hey, I, I had a question. I didn't get a chance to ask it. Follow up by email or, or follow up in the hallway or maybe, maybe there's a, a lunch opportunity. So just be curious about somebody else's work or somebody else's interest, and they will, in turn, almost automatically be interested in what you're doing. At the very least, just to be polite, but most likely, they're going to be curious because you're curious about them. So come at it from a perspective of curiosity rather than, I need to meet people and kind of de-escalate and lower the stakes of, of having having to have to network with people because you're going to be communicating and working with people the rest of your career. One of the things that I have found is that, so I'm not a kind of person who can go up to people and introduce myself and do that. But one of the things that I've found is easiest for me is a, is in a new environment is I'll go sit in the lunchroom, something like that and eat lunch and Maybe it's a, a one for the entire floor or something. And that might be a way in which I just sort of meet people from other labs. For me, it feels better because it feels more organic, you know. And in that way, I found it really useful. Other ways is, you know, back when I was in the lab, let's say I ran out of a particular reagent, then it's a question of going to the lab next door and saying, to someone who appears to be friendly or, you know, is lab manager or something saying, hey, do you have any of this? I really need some for my experiment. And that's a way to kind of introduce yourself to somebody new. And then it becomes like when you're in the corridor, you say, hey, and it just kind of, it's a slow build up from there rather than feeling like, like you said, like feeling like you need to do it all straight away. Absolutely. I, I completely agree. And I, I like how you describe kind of short circuiting those 
um, maybe larger stakes or someone like me who's a bit more extroverted walk literally walking across the hall and just introducing myself to the entire lab whereas you're taking advantage of common areas and, and that's why they're there they're common areas so people can actually bump in into each other and and meet and chat or not right we have lunch you know lunch rooms and, and cafeterias all over campus and most of us might just eat lunch in our labs or the the corridor off the lab or in our offices whereas we should probably be going every maybe once a week or a couple of times a month to the cafeteria, either bringing our food or, or buying food there and just randomly bumping into people or making eye contact and waving to people that we know, maybe shepherding them over or inviting them to sit down with us. The other thing that you brought up was you have a specific need or a specific ask and you might and you may have heard of someone that could help you or you say, well, the lab across the across the way does similar work to, to us, I'll go over there and ask somebody. So another way to meet somebody is to have a specific thing in mind to ask them. And you know, going back to just making sure you're meeting people and, and staying connected and, and building network and, and communicating, sometimes you might have to make up a reason to ask somebody or to meet somebody. And hopefully it's not a completely made up, like a lie reason, but it's based on some real need or based in reality saying, you know, you might say, well, I, I need to meet someone who knows bioinformatics. And you say, well, I saw, you know, I saw this person give a presentation that involved bioinformatics in their presentation or in their work. I might reach out to them, meet them, walk up to them and say, can you, you know, can you tell me a little about my, about your work or can you refer me to anyone that could be helpful? So the other thing that you could be doing in meeting people is also asking for references or referrals, not references, referrals, where you're saying, you know, anyone else that might be cool and interesting or good to talk to as you are being sort of that one-on-one -on -one interaction or, you know, one person in a large group, there, there are many ways to, to approach it. But I think coming from a mindset of this is just a one-to-one -one or a small group of human interaction, and everybody could be a little awkward, and that's okay. Kind of normalizing that, I think, is going to be helpful. Yes, and I think it's one of those things that where you can never underestimate the value in building up these networks in whatever way that you can. And, you know, like I said, I'm not the big extrovert kind of person. I'm more of a, a wannabe extrovert, but, you know, but I'm more on the introverted side. But that still doesn't stop me from building up a network. It's, it's just something that I actually been pointed out to me that that is something that comes somewhat naturally. And it's just but the sole reason of I want to get to know people from all over the university or wh whatever, whenever I get the chance to, I'll do what you said. I'll go to a seminar or I'll, I'll sign up for a committee because that's a way for me to get to know people in other areas of the university or the medical school or wherever. And you never know when you will cross paths with that person, but in a completely different context and how useful it is. I think Absolutely. that's a really important point to me. It, it really is, Ardeep. And, and one of the things I, I want to point out is 
you have created an entire podcast just to do that very thing. So instead of broadcasting to a to a, an open room, you invite one or two or three people in and hey, let me ask you some questions and get to know you a bit deeper. That's that's a great way to to go about things. Or you can do it uh, in a large seminar room and say, hey, I'm Hardeep or I'm Jim. Here's what I'm doing and here's what I'm interested in. And you might get a couple of takers and you have a, a side conversation. But looking for opportunities to join groups uh, like the JCSW, an opportunity uh, of a group that might have a, a specific mission that aligns with your mission and values, just walking into the room, you automatically have a room full of potential uh, colleagues, friends, mentors, uh, and a network kind of built in. It Sometimes it just takes going to a thing or, or being invited to a thing and just following up. So uh, it, it's not, it shouldn't be scary, but I, I can completely understand how it can be Im- intimidating walking into a room. Um, for example, uh, JCSW, which I uh, proud member for, for many years, I forget when I first started going to meetings and became an official member, but I walked in and I think I was the only male in the room for a couple meetings. And then that, that male population grew to, I think, maybe as many as five in the room. But it was, it was cool because it was a perspective that I hadn't seen before and a network that I didn't realize that I had access to and information and camaraderie that I was unfamiliar with un- until I started going a bit more regularly. But I was welcomed with, with open arms from the minute I walked in the room. And I went for a couple of reasons. I went to meetings, one, they had lunch, which, you know, sometimes just is enough to get somebody in the room. I was like, okay, it has lunch. It's offering a, a presentation on the topic that I'm interested in. And in my position as director of postdoc affairs or director, as a director of the postdoc office, I think my postdocs should have access and, and come to these types of meetings and build this type of network. But I in advocating that should also see what's going on uh, with this group. And immediately again was welcomed. And then I think within a year or two, I was helping run the community engagement subcommittee, which was a lot of fun. So what if, you know, like, as you said, and I'm sure there are many people in the same boat that where you find yourself in a postdoc where you're out of your debt, what kind of advice do you have for people who feel as if they're drowning. Yeah. So if, if you feel like you're drowning, ask for help, you know, look for the lifeguard. If we're going to continue the metaphor there, look for someone who's throwing the lifesaver vest or, or the little round thing that, that, that they send out into the water. You're, you don't have to do this alone. If you feel out of your depth, that's because sometimes you are. And that's the whole point of, of research is that you were finding out new things that nobody else knew before. So it's, it's part of the scientific process. It's part of the training. If you knew everything coming in as a PhD, if you knew everything coming in as a postdoc, then you would move directly into a, a tenured professorship. And that's not how things work. You have to build up your knowledge while, while adding to the vast knowledge of science out there in, in the field. And it part of the process of being out of your depth, of learning, of making mistakes, but also coming back with new new ideas or different ideas or, or different approaches 
or just sheer tenacity and resilience. But I think one of the things that, that I can take from your question is if you're feeling out of your depth and that's all you feel, you don't have, you don't feel like you're moving forward or having successes mixed with some failures and learning opportunities. That's again, being able to recognize that is important and making sure it doesn't go on for, for extended periods of time. And that's why I keep coming back to and will always go back to the first piece of advice you asked me when a postdoc steps on campus, what's the first thing they should do is introduce yourself to as many people as possible. So when you are floundering, when you feel out of your depth, you can connect, reconnect with your community, reach out to people who may have gone through the process similar as you and can say, it's going to be all right, or how can I help you? So just understanding that you don't have to do it alone and understanding that there are people that have faced similar obstacles as you and have survived that can possibly help you, mentor you, advocate for you. And there are other resources. Again, if if it is a an unsalvageable situation, there are other resources like my office or the ombuds you could reach out to and have maybe difficult conversations about the actual situation you're in. But the whole there's a whole research infrastructure or uh, an administrative infrastructure for researchers uh, at Harvard and, and HMS that supports you and is supposed to support you while you're having those scientific endeavors and, and learning opportunities. But things may switch or shift into actual crises. And again, we also have infrastructure there for you. So sort of shifting gears a little bit, you know, you said there's 7,000 postdocs somewhere yep. in that region, right? So I'm pretty sure there's not 7,000 faculty positions, right, for them to go into. And from what I have read is that the number of postdocs or number of people getting PhDs is increasing. I don't know if it's exponentially, but by a lot, right? But there aren't the faculty positions for all these PhDs to move into, you know, postdocs as well to move into. So one of the things is also what kind of advice would you give to people who are thinking about their next step? You know, like I have a PhD, you have a PhD, but neither of us are on an academic track. We're not faculty, we're staff. But yet we found positions that we enjoy. Yeah, the, the advice I would I give is to try to think as broadly as possible. And in times of major decision points or major transition points, whether it's career or personal or other kind of professional decision points or, or transition points, remember that there should be time and space for self-reflection, an actual kind of accounting of interests, skills, and values that you either confirm or reaffirm or realize that there may be a, a pivot needed, or you again, affirm or reaffirm that you are on a, a correct trajectory or path, but allow your yourself some time for that self-reflection of understanding your skills, interests, and values. And that if you follow your interests and continue to hone and grow your skills, while also having, you know, kind of your guiding principles and core values, if what you're doing currently matches there, 
and energizes you, you may continue to go forward. And looking in the future, what would allow you to continue to grow skills, follow interests, while also aligning your core values and guiding principles? If it's an academic faculty job, that's fine. Continue to go towards that, but understand that there are some expectations and credentials necessary to make that transition. Publications being probably first and foremost, but also a track record of funding or at least attempted funding, uh, grant writing. But also, again, you should have, this goes for all postdocs and trainees, you should be building that reputation and your skill set. And not just through publications are you communicating your skill sets and your accolades and your achievements. Again, you keep coming back to connecting to your community, making sure that you are sharing your discoveries, your, your scientific interests with the rest of your community who will eventually either be your colleagues or your bosses or your trainees uh, moving forward. So coming back to the question what what advice do I give for postdocs kind of exploring next career stages? As you said, there aren't 7,000 faculty positions open every year. Understanding that there's kind of this pipeline, there are 7,000 current postdocs at, at Harvard HMS, but not 7,000 going on the market at the same time. Realizing that there's this timeline and a pipeline, but faculty is not the only option for our PhDs and postdocs, as the two of us can attest. There are many things that PhDs and postdocs go on to do. And again, we're, we're very fortunate to be in the Boston, Cambridge, Eastern Massachusetts area with a, a vast ecosystem of entrepreneurship, biotech, startups, and pharmaceutical companies. Uh, I would say more than half of our postdocs go on to do research or transition into industry in certain other capacities. Many of our postdocs also realize as part of their training and that exploration time uh, that I, I mentioned earlier as a postdoc, realizing that uh, maybe non-science, but science-adjacent type of positions are you know, similar administrative positions like, like, like mine, or moving into publishing, scientific writing, but also the, the private sector, moving into business consulting or, or venture capitalism. So there's a lot of, of opportunity for a PhD trained scientist with several years of postdoc experience to collect a lot of transferable skills that are viable in the workforce, not just in academic research. So it seems to me that what you're saying is as a postdoc, one of the most important things is to have that group of people, network, whatever you want to call it, as almost like a foundation. And then as you're going through your postdoc is to be continually kind of thinking about what it is you want to do next. It, it's sort of not a, okay, I'm going to do this. And then I'm getting to the end of this. What now? It's a continual process. Yeah, you, you summarize it perfectly. It's a continual process. Uh, a realization that you shouldn't just be interacting and networking with your, your mentor or your, your PI, as many postdocs you know, call their mentors or faculty mentors. It should be realizing, interacting with your peers and those who might be a bit you know, junior to you, because your peers are going to uh, eventually, they're going to continue to be your peers and eventually colleagues, 
out into the, the workforce or into industry or academia or all of the above. They're the ones that's going to that are going to be reviewing your papers, they're going to be reviewing your grant submissions, and you're going to be reviewing theirs. So understanding that if you have this perspective of continual growth, of a, maybe a growth mindset of, of seeing challenges as learning opportunities, as growth opportunities, seeing people as, as humans and part of uh, this fabric of scientific enterprise, and realizing that they have similar or the same issues or, or imposter syndrome or, or feelings that you have or will have or have had in the past, that just having a connected scientific community is going to make science better and it's going to make you potentially a better scientist or a better administrator or, or just a better person or professional. So yes, throughout my academic and scholastic training all the way into all the way back into undergraduate work or undergraduate you know, college at, at Clarion University of Pennsylvania, I instinctively or automatically just built a team around me, understanding, again, trying to be as self-reflective as possible, trying to you know, maintain some level of humility by, by saying that I have limitations, professional limitations, skills limitations, communication limitations. And by having friends and colleagues and peers around me connected in a genuine, authentic way, they can help me overcome those limitations or they complement my limitations. And we as a group can move forward and, and do some very cool things. And I did that in my undergraduate. I did that in graduate school. I had a, a team or, or friends or cohorts, and it was an exchange of ideas, and I, I became a trusted peer and, and, and confidant for some of them, and, and they for me, and I did it again as a postdoc. So just building a team, building that foundation, and realizing that they are going to be your peers throughout your career, and many of them are still friends now that I text, uh, say Merry Christmas to you, I send them Christmas cards, I check in with them, I, I met their children. You know, as someone I actually haven't seen in person in over 20 years, I still am in constant communication with because way back in undergraduate, we had a connection and we maintained it. So the, the next hardest step in building a community and making connection is maintaining it and making sure you follow up on a regular basis. Okay. And one of the things that I have noticed is that you've written a book, yes, right? Yes, I have. Yes, yes. So... What is the name of the book? And also tell me about the writing process. How how was that for you? So the the book is Making the Most of the Postdoc, Strategically Advancing Your Early Career. And even though it is, has postdoc in the title, I hope I have written it in such a way that it's accessible for anyone who is in a maybe a science or science adjacent career path or, or professional path. And it's based on my experience, both as a PhD student and postdoc, but also as an administrator going on, as I said, almost 13 years now. And hopefully it's just sort of not too high level of esoteric advice and, and philosophy, but more about actionable and reasonable and practical advice 
on how to navigate difficult situations in a growth mindset kind of way. In the the introduction, I I share my story a bit more in depth than I I have uh, in the in the introduction here. Uh, basically, admitting that I've made many 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 mistakes, and it's okay to make those mistakes, especially if you're continuing to grow from them and learn from them. But you also asked about the writing process, and I, I'll share the story about how I was invited to submit uh, for this for this book. Uh, it's something that I've always wanted to do. Is like I got to write a book. I just want to write a book. I'm not sure about what about my life or about my work. And the opportunity came uh, because I was uh, invited to review a book proposal from this publisher. Someone had written a proposal for publication on kind of the international postdoc, and I'm like, yes. This is a, a topic that needs to be explored. It needs you know, more publications around it. And it needs to be more kind of growth mindset rather than what we kind of hear in, in uh, a lot of uh, the science and nature articles about the plight of the postdoc or the postdoc crisis or all of that. That is happening. You know, those are difficult situations to navigate. But I would say in my experience, most postdocs aren't facing crisis. So but for those that are, you know, how do we help them? So the, the proposal wasn't fully fleshed out. The idea was there, but it just wasn't, the proposal itself wasn't fully fleshed out. And I gave very in-depth feedback, specific feedback, you know, maybe this, maybe that. And the publisher turned around and asked me if I would submit a, a proposal for a postdoc, a book about postdoc. And I was like, sure, let me do that. So I put a, a hefty a proposal in as, as I could. And the it's interesting, the table of contents that I submitted as a proposal in October of 2021 is almost the same that got published in September of 2023. So I had sort of the topics in mind and I knew what I wanted to write about. The hardest part of the writing process wasn't the actual writing. It was collecting everything that I had already put together because so I had little articles here and little writings here. I had presentations and PowerPoints. I had um, podcasts and interviews, transcripts that I had, and I didn't want those to go to waste. So the first thing that I did was I collected as much as I could that touched on the topics that I wanted to cover in the book. And that was probably the first six or seven months, just collecting it, massaging it, pulling it out transcribing what I needed to, to finish transcribing and then fixing the transcription because how I speak in podcasts or interviews isn't how I, I write and it's not how people read. So I basically had to translate what I was saying into actual written word. And then I got the, the basic structure. I had, a, every, I had a little bit on every chapter, except I think the last chapter, it's sort of the exit chapter because the, the book is based on beginning, middle, and end of postdoc. And those little pieces of the postdoc that, or the training experience that postdocs move through sometimes without their own knowledge, just because time passes and, and, and work happens. So collecting that, massaging it, putting, the, putting it together, having basic structures of the, of the chapters, overall ideas of what I wanted to write about, and then rearranging everything. Because one of my, one presentation, for example, covered several chapters, you know, so I would go into that presentation, transcribe it, write it out, and then pull it apart and put it in the, in the correct spot. 
And then I basically went chapter by chapter, finishing and writing that chapter. And I would, I have to say my publishers were, were very hands-off, almost to the point where I had to check in and say, do I still have a, a, a book contract? Do you still want this? And they're like, absolutely. Yes. You know, send it in as soon as possible. I missed my, my first October, 2022 deadline. And, you know, I got it in, in January, I believe. So I was uh, two or three months late, but those two or three months were probably the most productive in sort of polishing the writing because I was able to, uh, I would say each chapter is probably four or 5,000 words ish. So the book comes out to like 45, maybe 50,000 words. 10 chapters, 115 pages. At the beginning of the process, I was totally overwhelmed because they were like, how many pages do you think it's going to be? How many figures do you think you're going to include? And I was like, I don't know, 200 pages, 20 figures. I don't, I, I honestly don't know because I, I knew what I wanted to talk about, but I'm like, I don't know how it's going to flesh out and how it's going to sort of spread across the document or the, the manuscript. So I think I ended up putting in like seven figures and it was only 110 pages. And I was like, this is it. It's like, this is as much as I can write. If I write any more, it becomes redundant. So I, I hopefully I honed it to the point where, you know, it wasn't too repetitive, but hopefully there was a, there's a theme across the book about, again, being connected to your community while facing the, the hardships and learning opportunities of, of being a postdoc. And I had, a, you know, a couple of friends read the, read the manuscript, gave me a lot of feedback. Uh, the support of my my wife and daughter. Uh, at the time, my daughter was also publishing her own book, and she beat me to publication by several months, and she's quite proud of that. So that that's kind of the process. It was fun to submit a proposal, intimidating to realize how much I still had to write, very difficult to pull all the materials that I kind of already made, reorganize it, and then basically rewrite it all anyway. But at the end, I would do it again. But in the middle of it, I, it, it was not a fun process. Again, you know, having finished it, I'm like, oh, that was pretty cool. But, you know, sitting down for two or three hours uh, every night was hard for me because that, that's not how I work uh, on a, a usual basis. I'm kind of a, kind of a hummingbird and, and go and do you know, 10 different things at once or you know, across, you know, a specific timeline. But sitting down and just writing for three hours was difficult. And then I realized, after a while of doing that, I was able to get into a, a writing flow very quickly just by, you know, knowing I had to write something, but also listening to, to music that didn't have lyrics. It's just instrumental music. So, and I, I pulled that trick from when I wrote my dissertation way back in 2000, 2007. Writing is one of those things that you have to sit there in front of the computer and find a way to start. And then once you get started, you get going and it, it's fine, kind of, but you have to get started, I, I think, is one of the most important things that I've certainly encountered whenever I've had to do writing, when I've taken my the writing classes and stuff, that it's sort of sitting there in front of the blank screen going, okay, what am I going to write about? Yeah, I, I've said that many times to, to anyone who would listen is, for me and for many others, the scariest thing is a blank page. So even, even when I had a blank page or when I, I had to write something sort of de novo, I copied and pasted something into it. So I had words on the page already and then I kind of expand on those words. 
even if it was like a one one line or one word outline for each line, a one word sort of a, a prompt. So for me, it was a little writing trick. Just pull something in and just expand on that. And then I don't want to say the writing takes care of itself, but it was a lot easier than trying to fill a completely blank page. It's terrifying, at least for me. Right. Often it's about just starting with your stream of consciousness. Yes. And yeah. not trying to edit that stream of consciousness while you're typing. So we're kind of getting to the end of our time here. So there's two questions I always ask. One is what professional skills are you working on or you would like to work on? And what personal skills are you working on or would like to work on? All right. I'm trying to work on a lot of different professional skills because even for me now, uh, as kind of a, a senior administrator, I, I'm not sure what the next steps are for me. Uh, so I am interested you know, uh, in building a podcast for career and professional development for PhDs. I'm interested in learning how chat GPT and generative AI works and how to actually incorporate it into my work, as well as incorporate it into other uh, workshops and, and trainings that I do for, for postdocs. I am also in a certificate, graduate certificate program at the Harvard Extension School in organizational behavior, uh, hopefully with a concentration in, in like leadership and coaching. So those are kind of professional skills I, I'm, I'm working on. And a lot of those will bleed into personal growth as well. Uh, on the personal level, I am in the middle of trying to buy a house. The house search is exhausting. I'm learning something new every time we go visit a house. Uh, we owned a house when I was a postdoc in, in Frederick many years ago and are looking again. So, you know, the home buying process is a personal growth and a testament to patience. And my daughter is a senior in high school and she's going off to college. So that will be an opportunity for a lot of personal growth. Uh, for me and my wife, uh, maybe being empty nesters because uh, my daughter Lucy is a, such a huge part of our our daily life. Her going off to college is exciting for us, but also a little bittersweet. I think the third question that I would like to ask would be, what do, what do you wish you could do? What do I wish I could do? I wish I could just go to um, maybe a, a cabin on the lake and go canoeing. That's what I wish I could do. Would it be in the winter? <laughs> in the summer or where, when would it be so uh, i i'm not a huge winter sports fan so it might be summer or or early fall where at least in new england uh, the weather's beautiful but if i were to go south maybe it might be more of a year-round thing and is there anything that you wish i had asked you uh, actually nothing comes to mind at the moment it, it seemed like a nice good flowing conversation is there anything you wish I would have said? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I think... Well, good. Yeah. <laughs> Although I don't necessarily come into the conversation with an idea of what, what I would like you to say. It's because, um, yeah, I, it, that's, not, <laughs> that's not the idea. Um, <laughs> anyway, thank you for doing this. Yeah, of course. Thanks, Hardy. Yeah, I really appreciate that time you've taken to do this and the great kind of thoughtful answers to the questions as well. I, I try and you know, just it's got to be practical. Otherwise, it's not really implementable. So I appreciate the questions as well as the invitation to, to be on the podcast. Thank you very much. <laughs>